Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. I must confess a secret. I'm watching my podcast statistic, and I feel a thrill of joy each time I watch the numbers go up. My guilty pleasure pushes me to continue, and it helps to know that it's not all in vain. Again, I want to say thank you for your support. It has been many years since I found something which I was driven uncontrollably by. Atlantis, in Greek mythology, is such a vast and complicated subject, so trying to keep it simple is a challenge in and of itself. I have now gotten used to opening up three different Google Docs in preparation for one episode. I find myself wanting to go in one direction and then having to focus back on the main point. I have so much to share with you, and pacing myself is a weakness. For this episode, I will be referring to the following authors in order from oldest to youngest. Homer, a traveling Greek performer who performed the Iliad and the Odyssey, living around 750 BCE. I was given the suggestion by J-Rock to think of him as Yaskir, from which I think that is a fantastic analogy. Hesiod, a Greek poet, who is known for writing the Theogony, an educational poem about the gods living around 750 BCE. Herodotus, an ancient Greek historian known as the father of history, known for creating the collection of works called the Library of History, living around 450 BCE. Plato, a classical Greek intellectual who is our primary source for Atlantis, living roughly around 425 BCE. Diodorus, a librarian at the Library of Alexandria and a scholar of ancient Greek history, living around 45 BCE. There are a million ways to die, and death by soil liquefaction is on my top 10 ways of no thank you deaths. I think Atlantic City Atlantis was a victim of soil liquefaction. I've heard of the meteor impact theory taking us out of the Younger Dryas event and have tried for years to make that theory work. I'll go into the Younger Dryas impact theory in another episode, but before we veer too off into theories, I want to finish Plato's work. We can't know what to accept or dismiss until we know the original story. In my experience, the truth is usually much simpler than a meteor impact. I have had my fair share of conversations about meteor impacts in my lifetime. If you have never heard of soil liquefaction before, I am happy to present to you my nightmare fuel. In simplest terms, soil liquefaction is when the ground quickly turns to liquid. The solid ground beneath you, that should be stable, suddenly loosens and becomes a thick liquid-like state treating everything as if it is suddenly in an ocean during a storm. Thankfully, this usually only happens after a powerful earthquake. We have seen videos and sinkholes and even tsunamis, but soil liquefaction is an entirely different natural disaster. Poseidon was not only the god of the sea, but he was also the god of horses, storms, and earthquakes. Take this passage from Hesiod. Meanwhile, from the union of Amphitrite and Poseidon, the loud roaring earthshaker, there was born a great wide ruling Triton. Triton owns the depths of the sea, 
living with his dear mother and the Lord, his father, in their golden house. It is reasonable to assume the same earthquake destroyed the Mars Tritonus from lack of a water source. Here's Diodorus. The story is also told that the Mars Tritonus disappeared from sight in the course of an earthquake when those parts of it which lay towards the ocean were torn asunder. Then Plato continues, After the war between those inside the pillars and outside the pillars, there occurred violent earthquakes and floods, and in a single day and night of misfortune, all your warlike men in a body sank into the earth. The island of Atlantis, in like manner, disappeared in the depths of the sea, for which reason the sea in those parts is impassable and impenetrable because there is a shoal of mud in the way, and this was caused by the substance of the island. That last paragraph from Plato stumped me for a while. In one day and night, Athens lost all of their warlike men, and they sank into the earth. Also, on that same night, Atlantic City Atlantis disappeared into the sea. Did this violent day of earthquakes and floods hit both Athens, Greece, and Atlantic City Atlantis? Or, do you think it's that the Athenian warlike men were partying in Atlantic City Atlantis when the earthquake hit? Personally, I align with the latter. I have heard people dismiss the myth of Atlantis by claiming an entire continent couldn't fall beneath the sea. Well, I counter that claim as it was only Atlantic City Atlantis that was torn underwater. The main city that once lay towards the ocean, and after the earthquake, part of it became a mudflat and another part went underwater. For reference point, I want to tell you about the story of Port Royal. I shortened the story and I have linked the article from DevastatingDisasters.com in my episode description and I encourage you to go show love to the original author. On June 7, 1692, Port Royal, Jamaica, experienced a powerful earthquake and tsunami. Larger houses collapsed almost immediately, and smaller ones slid off the land into the harbor as a widespread state of liquefaction dislocated their sandy foundations. Before the end of the day, most of the city had disappeared beneath the waters of Kingston Harbor. Most of those who were left standing in the midst of all the destruction were swept into the sea by the tsunami. 2,000 were killed immediately, and an additional 2,000 died later from injuries or disease. Few people seeing modern-day Port Royal, Jamaica, would ever think that it once played a major role in the politics of the Caribbean and England. All the evidence now lies beneath the water of Kingston Harbor. Port Royal went through a secular rise in wealth and influence. Just before the earthquake, it was the largest English town in the New World, and the most affluent. Every visitor was impressed with the multi-storied brick buildings, quite the contrast to other English colonial towns in the New World. It had a population of more than 7,000 and rivaled Boston in size and economic power, the only other city of comparable importance at that time. Port Royal, in 1692, occupied a space of more than 50 acres at the western tip of the sandy pit that extends out from Kingston Harbor, and after the earthquake, only 20 of those acres were still above water. It was a little different on parts of the spit nearer the shore, 
their underlying foundations of coral beneath a few hundred feet of unconsolidated sand seemed to be more solid. Those who started running towards the shore at the first indication of an earthquake were saved. The tsunamis that caused so much trouble came from submarine landslides. The powerful earthquake created spaces for these landslides and the five-foot tsunami that ensued, mainly inside the harbor area and between the peninsula and the main part of the island, and it swept more than 20 vessels off their moorings and sunk them into the harbor. At the same time, Port Royal was overwhelmed by the same tsunami, and most of it sank into the deep water to remain submerged for more than two centuries, providing scientists today with a well-preserved record of an early settlement. A brass watch that was recovered in later years appeared to have stopped at 11.43, and archaeologists wondered if that represented the exact time of the earthquake. I have done a lot of talking about ancient Libya, but I haven't really told you where it is. We should probably have some borders on what ancient Libya was. Here's Herodotus telling us roughly the borders with the following three quotes. The Libyans in the north and the Ethiopians in the south of Libya. From Egypt, as far as Lake Tritonus, Libya is inhabited by wandering tribes. West of Lake Tritonus, the Libyans are no longer wanderers, nor do they practice the same customs as the wandering people. Plato says the following about Libya. The men of Atlantis had subjugated parts of Libya within the columns of Heracles as far as Egypt. There was once in the western part of Libya, on the bounds of the inhabited world, a race which was ruled by women. Diodorus gives us a little bit more information. The Amazons were on an island, which, because it was in the west, was called Hespera. Their home lay near Ethiopia and that mountain, called by the Greeks, Atlas. Atlas, which is the highest of those in the vicinity, impinges upon the ocean. By the shore of the ocean, which surrounds the earth, there lay a marsh. In the marsh named Tritonus, after a certain river Triton, which emptied into it, is where the Amazons made their home. So, to try and put a boundary on Libya, it would be west of Egypt, north of Ethiopia, by the Atlas Mountain, and north of the Sahara. Lake Triton had a west of it, so there's a river or marsh that is connected to the lake, probably by Chattajib. According to Wikipedia, Libya is the Latin name of the Greek Libai, which actually came from a Berber language, Libu referring to the African continent. Berbers occupied the area for thousands of years before the beginning of recorded ancient Egyptian history. Climate changes affected the location of the settlements. In the Hellenistic period, the Berbers were known as Libyans. In classical Greece, the term had a broader meaning encompassing the continent that later became known as Africa, which in antiquity was assumed to constitute one-third of the world's landmass, compared to Europe and Asia combined. Menelaus, Helen's chosen husband from Sparta, had traveled there on his way home from Troy. It was a land of wonderful richness, where the lambs have horns as soon as they are born where used lamb three times a year, and no shepherd ever goes short of milk, meat, or cheese. Homer names Libya in the Odyssey. 
Homer used the name in a geographical sense, which he called the inhabitants Lotus Eaters. According to Herodotus, Libya began where ancient Egypt ended and extended to Cape Spartel, south of Tangier on the Atlantic coast. Modern geographers suspect that ancient Libyans may have experienced loss of forests, reliable fresh water sources, and game availability as the area became more desert-like. Homer calls this place Lotoophagi. Fun fact, Lotoophagi is located in northwest Africa and can be found in many ancient maps. Ophagi means eaters. Lot means lotus. It's very similar to the Ethiopian Ithaophagi, where Ophagi means to eat, and Ichthi is fish. Just a side note, I think that fish is Ichthi too. For those of you who may not have watched Percy Jackson, it is originally Odysseus who landed on the island of the Lotus Eaters on his way home from the Battle of Troy. Here's Homer on the island of the Lotus Eaters. Odysseus's ship was driven thence by foul winds for a space of nine days upon the sea. But on the tenth day, we reach the land of the Lotus Eaters, who live on a food that comes from a kind of flower. Here, we landed to take in the fresh water, and our crews got their midday meal on the shore near the ships. When they had eaten and drunk, I sent two of my company to see what manner of men the people of the place might be, and they had a third man under them. They started at once, and went about among the Lotus Eaters who did them no hurt, but gave them to eat the lotus, which was so delicious, and those who ate of it left off hearing about home, and did not even want to go back and say what had happened to them, but were for staying and munching lotus with the lotus eaters, without thinking further of their return. Nevertheless, though they wept bitterly, I forced them back to the ships, and made them fast under the benches, and I told the rest to go on board, lest any of them should taste the lotus and leave off wanting to get home. So they took their places and smote the gray sea with their oars. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9pm. See you then. Wait, are you still here? Thank you. It's appreciated. Here's a clip for next week's episode. We have to establish which viewpoint Plato's story is being told. Is it from Solon and his notes? Or did Solon write down verbatim what the priest told him? If that's the case, then we need to use an Egyptian stadium, not a Greek stadium. Personally, I think it's Egyptian stadium, and here's why. Do you remember how I said that Solon went to Egypt and was given the story of Atlantis by Egyptian priests? Well, Solon's notes were later used in Plato's works. So let me ask you the same questions I asked myself. Who is talking in this following quote? This vast power, 
gathered into one, endeavored to subdue at a blow to our country, and yours, and the whole of the region within the straits, and then, Solon, your country shone forth. 